Hi, welcome to Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees and lots of other things that we found out about becoming a lawyer and the people that do. Hello, Georgie here. And for this, our last episode of this series, we wanted to talk about networks. And I know the words networks or networking can feel nebulous or maybe even a bit meaningless. But from Scott Halliday to Siobhan Taylor Ward, a lot of our guests have spoken about how finding the right network has been totally invaluable for them in terms of getting support from people who have a similar experience to you, but also in terms of finding jobs. So that's why I've been speaking to Solicitor and the co-founder of the Black Men in Law Network, Isaac Elwer. Isaac recently landed his dream job at ICE, a digital music licensing hub, and he started off by telling me how he got there. It's actually years in the making. So this is three years in the making. So lots of people like to think, you know, things just kind of like happen and people just find things and they just land up somewhere. But um, it's actually literally three years in the making. So I started my training contract in 2018. And in my second rotation in the autumn, I moved to London. And I started to meet lots of different people when I was in London, as you often do from a professional contacts perspective. And I do not know how I came into contact with the incredible person that is Malika Sani. So Malika Sani um, is a legal counsel at um, YouTube Music, I believe. Wow. And she is the founder of the UK Black Music Lawyers Network. And the network was new then. It was about gathering lots of um, young black people who are interested in music or who are working in music in different ways in legal roles, quasi-legal roles, or their students wanting to get into um, music law. And she wanted to gather people together because she was saying, you know, you have a lot of people who are obviously black who are artists and sometimes some people are managers, but very few people, especially from a UK perspective, that are lawyers who are black, and especially in music. It's very, very uncommon. So she said she wants to kind of help um, bring in more diversity from that perspective. So I went to attend a very wide variety of events um, that and talks that the that the network put on while I was in London, and then attempted to get to someone else out of London as well, which obviously was trickier. Then obviously lockdown happened, and we started to have more Zoom meetings and calls, which was really helpful to kind of just explain things that people don't really understand from a music perspective. Yeah, and linking more to it. And kind of getting a bit of an insight into like what those roles actually are and kind of what are people doing all day? Like what are they actually doing? Yeah, because people don't yeah. really have a clue about what yeah. people do every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the benefit of the group as well as a network, as it was social, so we'd have meetups and obviously just sharing kind of hints, tips, advice for applications, which was really helpful for me because I was in the running for the role at ICE, which was really cool but obviously it was a bit stressful because I was like oh you know it's not easy to come into music roles at all they're quite hard to come by but also I was really kind of panicked about kind of finding a role because throughout last year there was obviously hiring freezes lots of redundancies were being made sort of more formally some sort of more informally I think it's something lots of young people are facing at the moment is a job market that is just brutal like if you're trying to get really 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 brutal and I can relate to it um sort of myself so like when I first started working about 12 11 or 12 years ago like my first pay was three pound fifty an hour 
flipping egg. Yeah, yeah. Like, and this is what I say to people, I've been through the ringer, so I know exactly what it's like. Yeah. Um, you know, then starting out from a professional career perspective and then you finish uni and your salary is like £15,000. Like, it's yeah. a real, it's a real thing, you know, and I've gone through scenarios of being made redundant. Like, I have gone through that, so I know what it is like for people and it's really hard. So, the reason for the network, the, the network is really helpful because what it does is everyone gets support and guidance on roles and in particular for this one it gets flagged in the group so people say oh there's this role going at this place there's this role going at this place this role's going at this place and if you want to apply and if someone knows someone there's i know this person who's there um let me know so i can tell them and then they'll put your cv in for the running or they'll put your cv in cover letter in for you you know you've got to really make what you're interested in really obvious that you really want to be in music you really want to do what you want to do it's not in the traditional firm context where if you want to do this as a, for a job or for a living if you speak about it in specific terms about the organization but that area or whatever yeah. that they will understand you it, it, mm. it's, it's bigger than that like you have to be, make it so clear you want to do music and nothing else mm-hmm. because there are loads of people who will have experience that will just make it really obvious that's all they want to do but if you retail your cv and this is the advice i was given if you retail your cv you make it really specific for music really obviously want to do that it will work because they will see that this is what you want and so i had to be like oh yeah okay cool well how am i going to do this mm, it's a bit tricky i'm gonna to have to really pull at the well of experiences that i've had so i pulled at the well quite literally and i went through all of the experiences i had and how i sort of did drama from ages 6 to 18 and did musical theater as well it was also in the school choir. We went to like the Royal Albert Hall. Like, I had to pull all of that stuff out that I did and that like I, I engage in like, I love talking about music, I engage in songwriting, all of that stuff that I did. I had to kind of say all of that and stick it at the top of my CV. The, the legal skills that you have, they are actually not interested in. They want to know what you want to work in the sector. And I thought that was really weird because coming from a law firm, that doesn't really make any sense to me. On networks, it's cl- it's something that is clearly, you know, like it's something that you work with lots because you set up black men in law well i co-founded as i understand it would you mind just talking about that a little bit about kind of how it came to be what sort of stuff the network does and kind of the kind of results that you see coming out of it as well so my co-founder of the black men in law network john oladigi he is also a music lawyer now but neither of us were when we first met so this is what i mean by years in the making like years in the making we've both become music lawyers in the same year so i set up the black men in law network with John, who I think had just qualified at the time, and I was a paralegal still. And it was because uh, we were speaking with other black lawyers about different people's experiences, and we knew that black women had quite really strong links in the industry, and we were really proud to see that. But what we thought was really interesting was that we knew a lot of black men who were either trainees, they were future trainees, some were NQs, some were completely as qualified, but we didn't know anybody in the big gap between being two and a half years qualified and like nine, ten years qualified, but you're not a partner. There was a gap of, there was just a dearth of people we didn't really know. Yeah. We couldn't really find lots of people. There was like the odd person who might be like seven years PQE or like five years post-qualification experience, which is what PQE is. But that was about it. We didn't really see anyone else. And it was really, really strange. We knew they were there. We just, we couldn't really see them. They weren't really visible. And so we were quite concerned with the fact that we were seeing more black women who were visible, but we weren't seeing the same thing for black men at every stage in the chain, which made us think that something is happening or going wrong somehow, where black men are not filtering through the process in the way Mm -hmm. that you should do. 
it's like they just 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 disappear, quite literally disappear. And we did find out that that was the case. So the Black Solicitors Network have done really good, interesting research on the attrition levels of lawyers at different levels. And the biggest gap from NQ to training, or from training rather, to NQ level, which is newly qualified, was black lawyers. So then we thought about our own experiences and we thought about the experiences of other black men that we know and started to realise that actually there was a big problem here with the way you would interact with systems were really hostile. But I think because of the way that men in particular, obviously black men are socialised, you're not socialised to acknowledge when problems occur. So you are socialised to just smooth over them and like everything will be fine and sort of hunky-dory. But the problem you've got is that you live a racialised and gendered experience, which is really particular, and you do need help and support through that because thinking that you'll just be fine is not really going to cut it when you're in an industry where a lot of people, quite frankly, do not want you to be there. And they wouldn't want to admit that, but everything that they sort of do doesn't encourage you to stay there. It's either you're not given the type of work you would like, or you're not given some levels of work that you would need to sustain you as you become more and more senior. So you go for a particular role, and then the problem you have is your CV is inadequate. So in comparison to the competition, you can't do the job. So then you're already taken out of the process in comparison to other people. Or you might work somewhere and you just feel like people are really harshly critical of your work. And I've had this from multiple people who have come to me. They've literally phoned me and said, this is happening to me. The things you were describing, they're all happening to me now. And like, I'm mentally, I can't really cope with it. And so this is why we set up the network, because people need help and support. Um, so we get them, we get people mentors. We've got a mentorship scheme that's been winning since we launched. We work all with people, people at different levels of you know, seniority, um, from people who are obviously applying in the first instance to people who go through the whole process. And it's really, I guess, a brotherhood and a, a collection of, of people with similar interests trying to help people along the chain, you know, to understand things where there is no old boys club for you. <laughs> so we're creating yeah. a new boys club <laughs> where we get to help you out because you don't understand how things work. So you don't get necessarily a tap on the shoulder. You might get the boot out and get pushed out and you're like, whoa, I'm cold. I don't really understand what's going on. And then like we want we welcome you inside and give you hot chocolate. So that's really what the Black Men Network Network's about and give you a biscuit I, and say it's fine. I love that description. I absolutely <laughs> love that description. Not yeah. It's something mm. that me and Kush have talked about before. Um the idea that m- mentoring sometimes can be set up in kind of quite a uh like I was gonna say artificial and I don't mean to be overly critical of it, but like quite an artificial way where you like get set up with like somebody who is to some degree picked at random who doesn't necessarily have any of your experience like any of your lived experience of what it is to be you in the world and that that can sometimes be like not a super helpful experience and that actually like finding mentors in a more kind of organic way where it's somebody who really does like understand kind of what your experience in the workplace is can be super helpful like a bit transformative yeah absolutely i had that for years and i mean years with lots of different types of mentors and they couldn't figure out why i was panicking about certain stuff just couldn't they didn't understand why and i guess to some degree what you're describing is just various different ways in which people are made to feel not welcome or not supported or not given work that allows them to progress that you know if that isn't your experience then of course you're not panicking (laughs) do you know know what i mean like (laughs) that you don't and and nor can you kind of support with like strategizing how you make that system work for you yeah yeah absolutely so for me the biggest collective of support i've had have been sort of individual black boys, some at my level, some that are more senior, 
some that are very senior and they've really helped me from um different levels, you know, going through different things that have been really quite stressful to sort of deal with, to then having to sort of deal with really obvious aggression against me. Um, when I'm very much just like, I'm just really in my mid-20s or my early-20s and I'm trying to learn and people are being really nasty and I don't understand what's going on. And they're helping me through the process and just saying, this is how you have to strategize and this is what you have to sort of do. Um, and that's the thing that, you know, we do with the network. We've had events where we have students, NQs, trainees, we, we bring people in to help them understand what the market is saying, what firms are like what different organisations are, what they can do to apply in different places. I was also wondering what, what else you've learnt from the network and from the people you've spoken to and so on, both about the issues that are faced by for the reason you set up the network in the first place and kind of more generally. There are people who want to help and there are also a lot of people who want to kind of criticise from the sidelines. That's the first one. So people sometimes would be like, why would you do that? Um, it's sometimes the response you get. And that's one thing I've noticed, which is unhelpful because you sit and think, well, the thing you're criticizing, like obviously we're trying to help, look at around and see how many people you see that look like you, as an example, and then figure out why we're doing what we're doing. And then often when we say that, people go really quiet, <laughs> real quick. Um, and then the second thing is that there are a lot of systemic barriers which are underpinned by lots of smaller factors. So it can be not helping someone out or it can be looking at someone who needs help as if they're a problem it can just be being cold giving them the cold shoulder um, or even really violent responses um to requests for help sometimes which is what i've seen and having to unfortunately educate people to say this is what it's going to be like or this is what this particular situation is and helping them understand that in advance so that when it happens they're not blindsided because you can really be blindsided when people really want to be really cruel and i would say as well that there is i guess hope and that these networks do unfortunately they do the job of organizations so we we, we shouldn't need the networks we need the networks because a lot of organizations still need to change and i think the final thing is like there is so much i think change coming within younger generations what i found and i say younger generations <laughs> as if I'm sort of towards the end of my life. But I mean, in the sense of like, you know, each year of students that you come through and see, even the ones at school, they're very switched on. Um, they are very, very on it. Um, they take the opportunities and they've, you know, they've, they've found us in the network and said, you know, anything the network needs is fine. And they just come to an event and they feel so empowered and they just go and blaze through an application and then they get a training module offer or they get a, a pupilage offer, which in past years we, we didn't see happens quickly and we've seen as well firms really strike rolling out the red carpet of black men that they have <laughs> in their ranks which was really funny we started to be like this is really weird because we thought you didn't have anyone who was a black man employed by you but all of a sudden you've got six which is really interesting because where were they before so we're starting to see a lot of that um or wider diversity become a bigger thing um which 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 we're quite pleased about because it means that it's working, really. Um, and slowly but surely, we're starting to see changes. But it's it's kind of a lot of to and froing, but more about empowering people. Because the more that you do that, the better things are. Because this is how this is always the first part of call, like to erode someone's self confidence and make them think like they can't do something. You know, it's it's, it's a trite example, but 
why would I try and match with them on Tinder? They're too pretty, so I'm just going to swipe left. Mm. And yeah. that's exactly what students do with applications. They just think, I could never work at this place. It's so elite. It's so this, it's so that. And they build it up in their minds that they could never work there. And so they don't submit the application and mentally they opt out and swipe left. And then sometimes it's trying to get them to be like, actually, you need to swipe right and decide you want to do this because you really do want to do it. You just told yourself you can't do it. And sometimes I said, you have to just do what is it you really want to do? What do you really want to work at? And then um, some of them say to me, oh, it's X, Y, and Z place. So I said, well, apply there. I'll put your best foot forward and then we'll make it work. And they're like, oh my God, I've got an interview there. And I was like, yeah, because you could do it. Yeah. And they're like, oh my yeah. God, I didn't realize. I was like, yeah, because you could do it. Because I know where you're coming from in, in doubting yourself. But the, the first sort of step is to to build the building blocks of your like mental confidence that you can do it. I don't know it's easier said than done because I was a nervous wreck applying for, you know, training projects and things like that. And I, I didn't want to apply to lots of places because I was petrified of being rejected. Um, but it's about giving them that confidence and the more confidence that you give people and networks like, you know, the Black Men's Law Network, Black Women in Law, um, the UK Black Music Lawyers Network, the Law Collective, other groups such as Urban Lawyers. These groups help people build up self-confidence and give them knowledge. And the more knowledge that people have, the more confident that they feel. And slowly but surely, people kind of get in and I start to see, oh my gosh, this is X, Y, and Z, this is this person, this is that person. And I just keep seeing people succeed. And I definitely think it's because these groups are, we're out here, but I think it's hypervisibility as well. And it's, it's slowly, slowly working. Even each person that we help is a victory. So yeah. It's such brilliant work, honestly. Like, I also think the analogy of like making people <laughs> swipe right <laughs> on like opportunities is fantastic. Swipe right um, in your jeans, don't swipe left, people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, other dating apps are available. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They actually are. <laughs> um, I was reading some of your stuff online, and um, one of the things that you were were talking about is the way that the phrase. BAME or B-A-M-E can be unhelpful in it kind of groups together people who in a, in, a, in a generic way and I guess one of the things that strikes me about the Black Men in Law Network is it is specific do you know what I mean like it is specific and it is open about what it is and I just wondered if you kind of if you could talk on that a little bit and kind of the thinking behind that. Well it, it, it was intentional but it was this is the thing that people forget like it's a big network now but it was really just meant to be like a group of people that sort of knew of each other getting together for like 30 people just getting together for like lunch. Yeah. It was yeah. never meant to be this like big, like massive network of like this big support network. Like it was never meant to be this big, huge operation. And it kind of blew up in that, in that respect inadvertently overnight, really scarily. And we were like, what do we do now? Cause we didn't expect this to happen. And the foundation of the network is just support, like support, talking to people, helping people out. And I think the biggest ailment affecting lawyers, particularly junior lawyers, is stress and anxiety. And so the network is there to, you know, combat that and the racialized and gendered aspects of that on top of just it having to exist as a lawyer. And um, that's that's where a lot of the specificity came from, because when we're specific, we can be accountable. Um, and then when we can be accountable, we can get more done. And then like, the more that we can get done, the more people we can help, rather than trying to do everything for every man where sometimes I've had black women who have come to me for help and support as um, mentees or as friends or as colleagues I've had, and I said, I can help you, and I will help you as much as I possibly can. But there are some things that will happen to you that I just can't speak on, 
or something that will happen to me that you can't speak on because I'm a black man and you're a black woman. You, you can only help people who have, at, at a really deep level, I feel, who you understand their experiences of. Um, because if you don't, you can help and support them, but they just don't get it. And when they just, someone just doesn't understand what is going on in your life or your mind, it's really hard to help. It's really hard to help them or for them to help you, you know? Like I, I could speak to young black lawyers, in particular young black male lawyers, and they understand what I'm on about. And when I'm talking to them, it's the same thing, vice versa. If I'm talking to an architect, I don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. Some yeah. things we society will know what we're on about, but some things in a professional context that you go Very through, specific. the dynamics that, that occur that you just have to engage with and experience. And if you don't experience them, it's, it's hard to help people. It's it's a very different example, but I um I identify as queer and I grew up in uh like quite a religious community and I still like I still go to church, I'm still a Christian and it's a very specific experience. Like being in the church and being queer, openly queer in a queer relationship is such a specific experience and there's something like like deep down in my soul cathartic about talking to somebody who fully understands like trying to balance those two things and it's like it's yeah. it's, it's not the same obviously um but it, it's like that thing it's of a, like it's very specific, specific experience. experience and it it's feels really so particular. good to talk to somebody who like properly gets it yeah yeah it's, it's it is very very particular i went to Catholic school when i went to church so i know exactly what you're talking about it's, yeah. it's a lot it <laughs> it's a lot, lot. <laughs> it <is> a lot. <laughs> So you you were one of the different individuals involved in setting up one case at a time. Um, and I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that, please. Yeah, so um, I came to be involved with one case at a time through Dr. Tunde Okawali, MBE, who's a barrister at Dutch Street Chamber. And it was just a call up, really. I was like, you know, are you able to sort of get involved? And I was like, yeah, sure, of course. Like, it's really good to help people and to, to give back in the best way possible to the community. So we are all, you know, working together to help effectively build the, the, a better understanding for people, um, within the, the wider community about their legal rights and how, how they can just better understand them, get better support. And then as well, the, the, the benefit of one case at a time is trying to give people that financial support where they do need it in certain cases. So for disbursements, if someone is trying to do certain uh, legal elements where they can't get funding themselves or time posting them to, you know, solicitors or barristers who can assist them or other legal groups for our advice. And we're also trying to, you know, start, we're starting research into understanding the barriers to justice for black people within the UK. And we think something is just, it's a simple form. Like I might look at something and think, you know, as an example, it's a title deed. I understand it. It makes perfect sense. I get it. My mum doesn't get it because she's not a lawyer. Like, you know, you think that everyone gets it because it's not hard, but you have to learn what it means. And I forget, I've studied something for about five years to understand what it means. Someone hasn't spent five years of understanding what um, a summons means or what something means. And you have to explain that to people and help them out. And that is really what we're all about. That is a really important wider point, isn't it, about how things in law as well as the legal profession can seem quite mystical and, and difficult and complex. And you kind of almost need to, need to break down those barriers and, and explain that things aren't, don't need to be as complicated as they, as they seem. Yeah, exactly. It's that sort of thing of, 
playing and common sense drafting. And it's really, I get it and it's really important and it's necessary. And I'm going to kind of slightly contradict myself, but not fully in that I like really used to like the, like the, not the legalese, but like the slightly archaic language. I used to really love it. But I realized it's, it's really difficult for people because they don't speak like that. They don't write like that. And it's hard because if you've got a contract, which is, you know, and in any event, and they're like, what do, and I, I actually hate that phrase. It's funny. I just said that I love these other ones, but I hate the phrase in any event. And lawyers say it all the time. If anyone's become a lawyer, I can tell because they'll say, oh, you know, well done in any event. <laughs> Don't say that. It drives me the world. Like, but I know what they're saying. <laughs> because they mean, they mean anyway. They yeah. mean when anyway, irrespective yeah. of what happens, like well done yeah. or like, oh, you know, whatever's going to happen. It means that. But people, they say it because they write letters like that all the time yes. in any event. Mm-hmm. But no one speaks like that. <laughs> in any event, we should. Uh... Oh my gosh! Oh, oh. Kush, good one. <laughs> no, that what that actually works. That actually works. That didn't send me this, but that actually works. <laughs> Obviously, you interact with a lot of students and, and people trying to get into the legal profession. Um, and I wondered what advice you would give them, and what advice you're giving them um, about how, about how to break in and how to how to get to kind of where you are and, and do what you've done. The first advice I would actually give you is like really. It's going to be a bit counterintuitive, but roll with it, roll with it. Like, just make sure you're doing it because you want to and not because mum and dad think you should do it. 100%. Because, because a lot of people feel pressured into doing things. And so they feel like I have to go to X, Y, and Z firm because it'll be fancy, it will be bougie, and I'll be happy because I'll be doing X, Y, and Z thing. And I don't really want to do that. The people I'm really most inspired by actually want to do what they want to do. They stuck to it and worked hard to kind of get into it and, and did that. And that's, that's how it worked out. They showed their passions. They did that. But well and truly in terms of, you know, proper advice of getting in, things like that, you've got to meet people. You've got to get, do it, put in the work. You don't have to do it in the same way that I have done. But when I was at university, like, for example, I was a typical student. I was, I was bathing in my own draft. I say swimming as I say, I was like bathing in my own draft, unfortunately. <laughs> because when I went to university, I saved up all the little money I got from my £3.50 job. And I thought that the little few hundred pounds I had would keep me through my first year. I was a bit naive. And then when I got there, they then said, oh, you need insurance in case you get robbed. And then, you know, for like contents insurance. So I signed up for it and it took all my money. And I realized after student loan came in and it obviously my accommodation went out, I didn't have any money. So like I then had to go and meet people and engage with people. And the more people you talk to, the more experiences you kind of understand. And you might pick up a mentor along the way or a friend along the way. And you never know who you might meet. But find someone that, you know, someone's career, not as in the person themselves, but their kind of career, the things they've done as something to kind of either emulate or be excited to follow in the footsteps of. So for me, my family from um, the Commonwealth of Dominica. So the current Commonwealth Secretary General is also from Dominica and came to the UK at a very young age. So that was massively inspirational for me because mm. she was, you know, um, British, British Scotland QC has just one of the most incredible careers. And sometimes you get to meet them and it's really cool. I got to meet her in the street and I was like, a, it was weird. It was really weird. Actually, I was like an excited kid. And it was great because she was really thankful. And she understood when I met her. I was like, oh my gosh, she's really you. And she was like, it is. And I was like, oh my gosh, she inspired me a lot. And she was like, smiled. And she was like, did you bu- Did you just bump into her then? Yeah, because I came out of the office. And I was going to Old Green Park when I was in London. And she was on the other side of the road. And I was like, oh my God, that's bad. It's just Scotland. I was like, no, I was like, as like a Dominican to a Dominican. 
Like Dominica has about 70,000 people as a population, so I literally have to speak to this woman. Yes. Um, yeah. And I did. And she understood. And I was like, my family Dominican too. I'm like, you're amazing. And like, you inspire me so much. And she's like, she's like smiled and like chuckled and laughed. And she was like, oh, it's really pleased to meet you. And like, da, 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 da. but every time her office, is to contact her office to ask if she would ever be able to speak. And obviously she's a commentator or secretary general. She's mad busy. And she was always really busy, but she always remembered and always thanked me for like communicating with her office. In a way that felt like she understood why I was contacting her, even though. So things like that, like when you meet people, speaking to people has such a long way of, of going through. And if there's anything I've done in my life and career is my personality has kept me through, even if I put a foot wrong when I do things. You know, being a person and being personable to people will always get you very far. But just don't have everything in your head like let it out talk to people like <laughs> people. join a and network the more that you let out exactly the more networks you meet and join and communicate with people everyone is like three degrees or four degrees of separation from each other and linkedin is a perfect example of that when you find these people you start to realize how many people are connected to each other even if it's just through an internet link they all know of someone which means eventually they will know someone who will know someone who will know someone because the world is a people world. So that was Isaac Elwa. And as it is our last episode in this series, at least, all four of us are here to have a chat with each other. <laughs> Hello, Hi, Georgie. Hello. I really loved some of what Isaac said about mentoring and I think if you're kind of in a stage of your career where thing, you know, you're starting to have to make some bigger decisions or, uh, you know, you're having to think about kind of what you want in the future, a mentor can be such a like useful and helpful and almost transformative experience. Kush, have you, have you had any experience of mentoring? It's interesting, Georgie, because you've talked really eloquently in the past in other episodes as well about how it's really important to have an, an, and you talked about this with Isaac as well about having a mentor that, is relevant to you mm-hmm. and you know has had some of your lived experience yeah. and therefore knows what you've been through and can give you really kind of practical or just helpful advice or sympathize and empathize with what you've what you're going through um and, and I thought that was that was really really good advice but then I thought thinking back about my career I've not really had many or, or any mentors I think that have had specifically my experience or have been Asian you know, in, in, and, and they kind of had the same experience or looked up, you know, law firms and not seen people like them. And then it sort of made me think actually that maybe also having a mentor who isn't like you can be useful in the sense of, for, for them, it opens up their eyes to what the experience of someone like you is. And I just wonder whether actually, you know, obviously having a mentor like you is, is the best thing. But equally, I think when if you have mentors that aren't like you, it can be useful for them and for people following in your footsteps. It's a bit of a wider picture, I guess, and maybe not as relevant for, for the individual person. But I think that's how we have change happen as well isn't it yeah Yeah. Isaac mentioned quite a bit about networking in his chat and I've been to quite a few events over like the last five years of networking you know some as an apprentice and some not and as somebody who's in their early 20s I found that I've had a few bad experiences networking I've sometimes found that more senior attendees won't make the effort to make any sort of conversation with me it actually makes it really difficult to network and it be can be quite isolating when you have that feeling I don't know about you and Caution Bridget have you kind of had like any bad experiences any really kind of good ones that have stood out for you 
I guess you guys might not might not be aware of this, but some law firms train people in how to do network. Well, we had training on networking events in my, tra- during my training about how you how you network and how you enter a room and how you talk to people and your body language so that you're open to talk to people. Because I guess the purpose is obviously for networking events often to win clients. So it's yes. really important that yeah. us socially awkward lawyers can kind of do it in a in, in a way that's quite charismatic and you can try and win clients in those in those contacts. Um, that's and really so, yeah, interesting. So I firms, did not know that. Law firms actually train people, yeah, in in how to how to network and you know how you should stand in a group with your kind of feet pointing slightly outward so that people can 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 enter <laughs> the two of you you know open your open your body so that people can can be can be you know, able to join you in in the group how you if you're having a quite a dull chat or you're kind of stuck with someone how you can excuse yourself but don't say that you want to go to the loo and then come back because then it's just really awkward and how you should honestly say it was lovely to meet you um there's a couple other people i'd love to speak to but hopefully we can catch up soon and kind of move on that way because the classic i want to go to the loo is, is always a bit awkward especially if they say oh i need to as well and you're kind of stuck with them <laughs> So, uh, that's an excellent advice there. It's like, that is it's like finishing advice. school for for lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> These things should be should be taught because it is a skill as to how to kind of get the most mm. out of a room full of people that you don't know. It's definitely a skill, and it takes practice. I remember I going go to the first few networking events and. Even when we hosted them in our law firm, and at first it was it was super awkward because I just felt like a junior person, no one really wanted to talk to with all these important clients. But more and more, you sort of you learn the topics to talk about, you know, what things you might have in common, um, or you kind of. And, and eventually, we started hosting the associates and the more junior members of staff started hosting our own events, people at our level, which was great because we did much more fun things. Like we used to have penguins in the we got a zoo in the office once and we had penguins walking around and pooing on our carpets and stuff or we had like it was really really cool because we did stuff that we were interested in and the clients responded to that much better because it was just much more fun and interesting like we had we had yeah. Yeah, different kind of animals coming in like porcupines and and snakes and stuff like that and we did different themed events and it was it was great because it was just it was just as kind of you were saying georgie and as scott said stuff that you were interested in and the people that were interested in it came and you know you had a much better conversation and a much better output as a result i can only imagine the budget that was available to you Kush, honestly <laughs> yeah i mean that sounds amazing that all sounds i'm picturing so kush is that wall street film you know where they have like the big parties in the office that's all i'm picturing right now it wasn't that bad it was all pg with some serious differences <laughs> So, as Georgie said, remarkably, we're at the end of our podcast journey. This is our our last episode. Sadly, um, it's been a, a wonderful experience. If I can, if I can speak for for the four of us, <laughs> um, and some, we've had some really lovely moments. Kush, is there any specific moment that really sticks out to you? Oh, it's really tough, isn't it, to pick one, but. The conversation with with Weber really stood out for me. I mean, I know his headline of diversity as a state of mind was was such a it was really powerful and kind of quite an eye opening message. But there's something more nuanced that he said that I thought was was really interesting um, and really spoke to me about how it took him ten years to get a training contract. And you know, he what he realised over that period was that he needed to find the firm that matched his value system and matched him. And it wasn't just about picking a big name for his CV or, you know, picking the firm that was most prestigious. It was about finding the one where he fitted in. And that was when he was able to be successful. And now you can see him affecting change from within. Um, And I think it's a really important point. And I'd never really considered, you know, when I was applying for training contracts and so on, um, is this firm the right one for me? Does its values fit my values? Are there people like me working in this firm, people that see the world like I do or who have the same background, you know, with the same types of schools, that sort of thing? I never really thought about it. But it does really affect kind of how at home you might feel in a place and then also um, how successful you can be because you could, you're able to, you know, to be confident and feel like you belong there and then succeed. Totally. I totally agree. 
and I think it's something that's like come up in lots of the different conversations is like the idea of like the reciprocity between like you and your employer and that you know you give so much time at work that it has to that it has to work the other way around as well and that it has to be a good fit for you and I think it's something that's really interested interesting in the apprentices chat as well actually was that we were all doing very different things in our roles but that it really like the different things that we were doing really suited each of us and like like imagine if we'd all swapped over we probably wouldn't be as happy and it wouldn't be such a good experience but it's like having the confidence to be like oh this maybe isn't the fit for me even though to kind of on, on a like on paper level it seems like a great opportunity quoting a bit of love island there georgie um, you're my type on paper yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's something also that scott mentioned didn't he and i wondered for, for you georgie what, what which um which episode and which moments kind of stood out for you yeah i think it probably is scott for me i thought he was brilliant um and i really i found what he said about the a like when you're looking for jobs similar to what you were saying kush actually to look into the company or the firm and believe what they tell you so if you look at it and you think oh this doesn't have any kind this doesn't mention kind of any kind of diversity and inclusion initiatives or you know it doesn't it's not something that they're putting front and center maybe believe them or if like they've got lots of pictures on the website and they all are kind of a certain type of person believe them um and also if you kind of get yourself into a scenario where you feel like perhaps you don't fit in for you know various different reasons to kind of constructively and sort of elegantly and thoughtfully figure out your exit plan i think it's just really good practical advice and not something that i'd really heard before bridget what about you what was your favorite it's maybe the episode i did with carly alikogu uh she talked a lot about failure and challenges around applying for the bar where she now is her kind of persistence and perseverance I think is really inspiring and something particularly when you look if anyone's looking to to be called to the bar such a such a difficult such a a small group of people who ultimately end up being successful like lots of different you know experts in in different professions but her story is one of yeah real real perseverance that I think I can I can definitely definitely take a leaf out of her book so for me that 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 really stood out I love that too Bridget yeah, I enjoyed listening to that one yeah yeah I did and I particularly like that she said that like when she was doing it that she had like decided that if she didn't get it that that was okay and that like she didn't need it to define her or like define her value in the workplace like such like really good advice isn't it like really really good yeah, advice yeah it- it's one of those things that's kind of easier said than done. I 100%. think she's particularly, yeah. particularly strong, particularly strong lady and um, kind of really, really powerful advocate for also having lots of other things going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Oh, what has really stood out for you of the conversations that we've had? Yeah, I mean, they've they've all been great and I've loved speaking to every single one of them. Like a moment that's kind of stuck with me was when we kind of chatted with apprentices and um, May was discussing with her parents. Yeah. Well, she was trying to convince them to let her do an apprenticeship mm-hmm. and trying to show them that it was just going to be as successful as going to university. And like, it's just, I felt that like that, like my parents were quite comfortable with me doing it, but a lot of people I know weren't, they, they had this mindset that, um apprenticeships weren't like going to get you anywhere and that's just not the case so it's not the lesser route and both Maya and Tegan chatted about how they w- worked so hard to get their apprenticeships and again so did we Georgie yeah. so you know it was just really nice to hear that and my journey hasn't been a straightforward route you know I've done the apprenticeship then I had a break from studying 
working full time and now I've gone back to my studies again while working full time and this is what this podcast is all about it's not all lawyers have law degrees it's about making people understand that there's not way one way into law and that is okay like it's 2021 and there's tons of opportunities out there so you just got to go out and grab them by the horns and make the most of it absolutely so well said (laughs) talk about grabbing life by the horns If you're interested in any of the networks Isaac mentioned, including the Black Men in Law Network, you can find links in our show notes. Genuinely, thank you so much for listening to this series. We've had a fantastic time recording it and finding out all about different people. But without you guys listening, there's sort of no point to it. So genuinely, thank you so much to everybody who's given the podcast a listen. If you haven't heard all our previous episodes, do go back and check them out. You can find them wherever you find your podcasts. And please do think about leaving a review. My dad likes to check the Apple ones to see if anybody said anything nice. So it'd be lovely if you could. And who knows, maybe we'll be back. Do give us a follow on Instagram for more updates. You can find us by just searching Not All Lawyers Pod. This has been Not All Lawyers Have Law Degrees from the BBC's legal team.